really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter, at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So it's fair to say there was a lot of action this weekend. So let's jump right in. So starting with our current updates, and as I write this, it is my favorite quasi-holiday of the year, Halloween. Every year, we add at least one decoration to the house, and it's just so much fun. I love it. So my son has discovered Pokemon. Uh, by the way, he loves the cards. He, he pours over them, trying to memorize all the little stats and numbers. But he's told us expressly that he has no desire to actually play the game, which totally baffles me. But hey, that's fine. Uh, in any event. We wanted to all go as Pokemon this year, and we've decided to take him up on it. Uh, I floated the idea of his mom going as Ash while I would go as Misty, and he was so completely horrified. It, it took him a while, just to, it, it took us a while just to talk him back down. Uh, in the end, we found these fleece onesies, and uh, the photo op is also going to become our holiday card for sure. Um, he, of course, will be Pikachu, while his mom will be Jigglypuff, and I myself will be Snorlax. <laughs> if it seems like a good idea after the fact, I might just put some pics on Twitter. So either be on the lookout or prepare to shield your eyes, depending on your point of view. Oh, I love October. He's well, Isa, I would describe the news as weird, but I suppose you can decide for yourself. So quoting from an article linked in the show notes, as always, and it is, you know, slightly out of date by now, but, quote, Cameron Redpath is finally back to full fitness and raring to go with Scotland, but the, math, uh, the Bath midfielder is unavailable for this Saturday's Autumn Nation series opener versus Australia, even though his club have a bye week in the Gallagher Premiership. Uh, Gregor Townsend confirmed last week when announcing his 40-strong uh, squad for the four-match series that Scotland would be only be able to select their home-based players to take on the Wallabies uh, due to the October 29th game taking place outside of the agreed player release international window. It means that Townsend is down to 10 options this week as nine of his chosen 40, including Redpath, are contracted to the Premiership. Um, while Rory Sutherland recently hooked up with Irish uh, URC club Ulster following the demise of Worcester. The curiosity, though, is that Bath have no top flight match this weekend as their fixture at Worcester was canceled when the Warriors were suspended for the remainder of the 2022 to 2023 season. However, that club front idleness won't free up Redpath or his roommate Josh Bayless for Scotland, and he will instead only become available to play for the no November 5th Fiji match onwards. Quote, it's outside the window, so we are not allowed to play, which I do not agree. I find it quite weird, said Redpath during a guest appearance on this week's Rugby Pod show with Andy Goode and Jim, Jim Hamilton. I'd love to have the opportunity to play, especially as we have got a bye week, but it's probably not something I can go and argue about. I'm just happy to be fit for once in camp, and hopefully I can get a shot over the next three weeks to show people what I can do again. Uh, I'd love to play, but it is weird, and I don't know why it's like that. I know England have four games as well, which makes it even weirder again, but no, I don't think I'll be allowed to play this week. 
unquote. So the 22-year-old Redpath is hoping to finally get an injury-free run with Scotland as his test career has been restricted to just two caps, a debut start versus England in February uh, 2021, and a blink-and-you-missed-it cameo off the bench eight months ago against Wales. <laughs> That's the end of the little quote from the article. You know, this is this is what happens, I guess, when you have laws instead of rules, right? Leave it to rugby. So moving on to our thoughts of the week. And you know what? My thoughts this week are with my friend Jan. So as you know, she's a former USA Eagle. Actually, to me, by the way, I don't like using former because once an Eagle, always an Eagle, you know? In any event, I got a message from her this weekend with, a, with very cool news. She's, as I write this, on her way to New Zealand, where she'll be on hand for the semifinals in Auckland. Apparently, World Rugby is hosting an event for the 1991 and 1994 World Cup champion teams. Uh, now that they finally, at long last, formally recognize those tournaments as being what they were, World Cups. Uh, they will also be honoring Kathy Flores and inducting her into the Hall of Fame. And Kathy and Jan were great friends, so it all sounds incredibly exciting. It should be amazing. I know the games are going to be amazing as well, so I'm just super stoked to hear all about it when she gets back. I don't envy that flight either way, but, you know, what an opportunity. Safe travels. Jan, you are the best, and I can't wait to hear all about it. Okay, that, of course, brings us to our reviews. This weekend, we were on to the quarterfinals in the Rugby World Cup. We, of course, began with France versus Italy. Italy were only able to manage just the one kick while France dropped a solid 37 points on them. Next, it was New Zealand versus Wales. And, you know, much as with the previous match, the underdog Welsh would score just the three points, in this case, to the Black Ferns, 55. On Sunday, then, it was England versus Australia, where we ended with the exact same margin as the opening fixture of the weekend. How, how odd is that? The Red Roses beating the Wallaroos 41-5. to And as I said, finally, it was Canada versus USA. And this match actually never happened, so there's no point in talking about it, right? Okay, okay. Canada did, in fact, get one over on us again, this time 32-11. to I think I need to go throw up in my own mouth again. Anyway, much like last week, I'm not going to get into these matches just yet because friend of the pod, Rachel Law, will be back once again to cover it all this week. So please keep on the lookout for that. She is just so much fun. Uh, we plan to do the same thing after the semis and then after the finals as well. If you somehow missed our first installment, just check out the pod, uh, the pod feed. It came out last Friday, and I just highly, highly recommend it You know, for her much more than for myself, that's for sure. So next up is what I'm calling the Ninternationals. That's right. This weekend was also one of those weirdest of all weekends when the URC is still going full bore, but we also have international fixtures. You know, these games are technically outside of the autumn international window, which is why I've dubbed them the Ninternationals. Uh, that's N apostrophe, of course. Um, as we mentioned in the news earlier, Scotland played a match against Australia, but not before New Zealand traveled to Japan to take on the Brave Blossoms. Uh, New Zealand versus Japan... If you haven't listened to my recent chats with Philip Tuttiot and Rachel Law, I highly recommend both of them. It was so great to talk to both of them. And we definitely cover the reason that this marks the very first time I intentionally skipped an All Blacks game. Sorry, not watching, don't care about the result. So Scotland versus Australia, the international I did watch, however, was at Murrayfield, and I was very happy to see Michael Hooper in the pre-match social media stuff that was happening. It just it just feels more right when he's in the Wallabies squad somehow. Uh, somehow. But of course, I was hoping he would have a good return, though still obviously hoping he would lose. Uh, this one was exciting. It was close, but ultimately was a bit of a gut punch. Australia breaking their three-game losing streak to Scotland and escaping by a single 
point. Blair Kinghorn is already getting a ton of grief for missing the last second kick, but in the end, I don't think it's fair to pin the loss on him. There were plenty of other chances the team squandered throughout, and if they'd taken care of business, it wouldn't have come down to that in the first place. So John, Craig, and I talk a little more about this in the bonus app that we released on Halloween. Uh, for some reason, you want to keep thinking about it and talking about it. Check that, and uh, for me, I'm just happy to move on. Okay, my friends, that brings us to the top 14. It was round nine in France this weekend, the, and the home team always wins trend. You know, it took a small hit this weekend with two of the seven matches going the way of the visitors. Rassing took care of Breve away, um, though they did let Breve hang around and, you know, get dangerously close by the end. Um, you know, while I still definitely do not trust Rassing, they definitely look like a team that could show up and beat anyone on their day. The big surprise, though, had to be perennial bottom feeders Poe somehow smacking around La Rochelle. Definitely didn't see that coming. Even after this loss, La Rochelle are still in third place, while the win brought Poe into 12th place, edging out Perpignan by virtue of a better points differential. In fact, I found an article about how big this loss was, which I, have, of course, have linked in the show notes. It read in part, Quote, Ronan O'Gara admitted that La Rochelle's shock 38-21 defeat to Poe in the top 14 was rock bottom for him and his side. Despite having players away with the French national team for the November internationals, he still had the likes of Bryce Doolin, Teddy Toma, Will Skelton to call upon. La Rochelle would have been big favorites against a Poe side that only had two victories before Saturday's game and would be hoping to avoid relegation this season. Uh, speaking after the defeat, Ronan O'Gara didn't hold back in his assessment of his side. Quote, we were humiliated by the better team. We have a lot of work to do. It is hyper frustrating for the public. My stomach hurts for the fans. They will be disgusted with good reason. It's a big slap in the face. We must react quickly. We've hit rock bottom. It's a black day for me. Good managers don't make the same mistake twice, but we put our values in the trash tonight, unquote. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, the former Ireland fly half will hope his side can get back on track when they face Breve next weekend as they aim to close the gap on the top two in the table. Uh, as for a few other details and highlights from the weekend, of course, we did begin on Saturday with Cast versus Claremont. Um, some great lead-up, lots of history, in-depth stuff. I really crave that about this competition. It, it's it's still somewhat mysterious to me. Um, Cast haven't lost at home in over a year and are looking to secure a top-six spot on the table. Last year, Claremont be, uh, beat Montpellier on the last day of the regular season, which kept Montpellier out of the top spot, allowing Cast to slide in, and for the only time that season. Remarkable. Uh, very late and down a player, Claremont were awarded a penalty try to get within seven it was an incredible ending with Claremont knocking on the door, but finally taking a penalty kick to secure a losing losing bonus point rather than risking leaving with nothing. It was cast staying unbeaten at home, 26 to 22. So good. Next up, Montpellier versus Stade Francais. The first thing I wrote was, yes, Nicolas Sanchez is back for the juice boxes. Man, oh man, it feels like forever since he's been fit. It really gave me a shot in the arm just to see him getting ready for kickoff. What a player. A quick stadium note. Have you noticed the top level in the main stands at Montpellier? It is steep. It looks precipitous. You know, from my seat at the kitchen table, it must be absolutely dizzying up there. They should have a like a two-beer maximum if that's where you're going to be sitting. Otherwise, there could just be a human avalanche every single week. In any event, Montpellier, they were on a, a four-game losing streak and looking to turn things around, and that's just what they did. Uh, the Parisians looked to close in very late, but never had quite enough. 23-19 was the final score in that one. Next, it was Breve versus Rassing, as I already mentioned. It ended up very close, very high scoring, though you wouldn't have suspected it you know, through the first, first quarter or so. 
Finn looked like he, you know, quote, found some form, unquote, out there. And uh, his charges snatched a defense optional 38 to 43 road victory. Fun stuff. Then it was Bordeaux Begler versus Toulon. It was an instant classic. If you haven't watched it, I would strongly urge you to go find it. You know, Bordeaux, they continue to win me over. I'm about a week away from breaking down and ordering some gear. So this result hung on a single point with the home team squeaking by 27 to 26. Just such great stuff. So La Rochelle versus Poe was next. We've already kind of covered it, but it ended a five-match losing streak by Poe. It made it two losses in a row for the hosts, who were runners-up uh, for the whole competition just two years ago. This was also the first time Poe won away at La Rochelle in, wait for it, 24 years. And, the, you know, the stats kept on coming. So, by the way, I, I was taking a look at the table, and I noticed that despite being so low on the table, Poe's points dif differential is only minus 42, which means after nine games, they're losing by less than five points per match. So I think they've been a lot closer than people might have realized. Um, I wonder if that had something to do with surprising La Rochelle so badly this time around. Anyway, when they did, it was 21 to 38 at the final bell. Good job, Poe. Way to mix it up. So Perpignan versus Lyon was next on the docket, and I admit I didn't manage to catch even a single minute of this one, which is too bad because it looked like a very close match. Uh, Perpignan took care of this one at home by a converted try, 28-21. to And then finally on Sunday, it was Bayonne versus Toulouse. This one was the other big surprise this round, at least for me. Toulouse, of course, topped the table and not by a small margin. And no doubt, you know, they thought they were going to be the third team to get an away win this week. They were close, but couldn't quite seal the deal with Bayon handing them only their second loss on the year, 26 to 22. And that is how the round would end. So looking, as I said, at the table, this league is still a bit of a logjam, apart from Toulouse at the top. They are in many ways the anti-breve. They have seven wins and two losses and a whopping plus 119 points differential, while Breve, on the opposite end, claimed the bottom spot with two wins and seven losses, and with a minus 118 differential. Uncanny. Uh, but, as I say, there are seven teams, literally half the league, on five wins, three with four. The strangest round this year has to have been round six, with Stade Francais versus Perpignan and Toulon versus Breve. In those two fixtures alone, the home teams won by a combined 99-3, to three, which is a crazy stat. Gotta love the top 14. I'm so in. So flipping over to the Gallagher Premiership, it was round eight in England. And as we're continuing to look at these trends of you know home winners versus away winners, we saw all the home teams win, though I have to add the phrase, as far as I know, because I've saved the Saracens versus Sale match for later this evening. Uh, I do realize with only four matches per week at this stage, the stats you know aren't quite as compelling, quite as meaningful, but I still find it interesting. So the highlight of the weekend for me was the Cherry and White's gutsy win at King's Home. So you know why don't we start with that one? So on Friday, as I say, it was Gloucester versus Exeter. My love-hate feeling about Austin Healy continued. As always, you know, he analyzed a few plays and blew my mind with it. But then he did that thing where he blames players for getting hurt. At one point, after a player got absolutely smashed, he said he allowed himself to get shoulder-charged off the ball. But when you're not looking and someone puts in an illegal hit on you off the ball, that's your fault? I mean, what was he supposed to do? Either way, Gloucester looked to be gunning for it, and once they found some momentum, they just wouldn't give it up. Their crowds, of course, have been top-notch this year as well. This match was no exception. After the really negative reaction I had to Exeter last week, I think I have to admit I'm actively rooting against them. Sorry, Hoggy, uh, but you'll be better off next year. Uh, in the type of stat I tend to mention here, two of Gloucester's six tries were scored by a guy named Santiago. 
but not the same one. And of course, Louis Reesermit, who would be uh, sharing what Tom Shanklin called a fitness burger with his dad at the Cardiff versus Edinburgh match the very next day. He scored the first try and set up two others while continuing to show a lot of fire on both sides of the ball. I swear, on TV he looks 15, but I, I feel sure if you met him in person, you'd be like, holy crap, what a monster. Uh, also, he, I have to say, he may or may not actually be a robot. Um, here's his post-match statement, which sounds like it was computer-generated. Quote, I'm very satisfied. We know Exeter are a hard work team, and it is always tough against them. We wanted our fans in the shed to get behind us and carry us to the end, which they did. We knew Exeter were going to go long phases with the ball, so it was about being engaged for the full game, and we did that. We wanted to take them to the well, and George Skivington told us to stick at it, stick at it, and we would get our rewards, unquote. Okay, so maybe we skip asking him questions next time. Maybe somebody else we find. In any event, there were only two points between the sides at the half before Gloucester definitely sort of ran away with it, outscoring their guests 19-5 to in the second half, winning 38-22 to when all was said and done. Say it with me. Is it Gloucester's year? So then on Saturday, it was Harlequins versus London Irish, and my guy, Alex Donbrand, he was back for the first time since sometime in September. Oh my word, I didn't realize how much I had missed him until I saw him running out there on the pitch, you know? Uh, he's just such a joy to watch on the rugby field. He simply does everything you possibly can do out there. So a very controversial ending to a bizarro world game. I absolutely loved it, of course, because I support Harlequins, um, but you know, and by the way, both the aforementioned number eight and Mr. Joe Marler, I've also talked a lot about here. They played all grueling 85 minutes in this one. But, you know, everyone, I mean everyone on comms were apoplectic about the botched call that led to the home team's ultimate victory. And I totally get it, but it it frankly didn't stop me from feeling good about it. Um, after being shut out in the first half, Quinns did it again, outscoring their guests 26-10 to 10 and winning by a pair. Then for uh, Northampton versus Bristol, if you told me that there was going to be 76 points scored between them in this one, I I would have, uh, I don't know, probably said something snarky, as always, I guess. But yes, indeed, uh, with the home Saints 14 points to the better, 45 to 31, the comms waxed poetic at the end a bit, saying, the gardens on a bright autumnal afternoon are back in bloom. Lovely, guys. Give me more of that. I love it. So finally, on Sunday, as I mentioned, we had the marquee matchup, the top two teams in the Prem. It was Saracens versus Sale. And you know, as I mentioned, I'm saving this one, so please, no spoilers. Uh, I do have a pretty strong feeling that Saracens will end up playing the SmackDown, but I'm always happy to be proved wrong, which, you know, for me, is a very lucky thing, right? Anyway, with that, that was the end of the round in the Gallagher Premiership. Great stuff. Of course, moving on, it was round seven in the URC. It was a fun one. Lots of compelling action, unfolding stories. And that's, of course, before the comp goes onto the shelf for the international window kicking off in earnest next weekend. Uh, the home versus away thing I keep talking about, pretty evenly dispersed. But with the URC, that really feels much more about the haves and have-nots rather than where a given match is actually taking place. Anyway, Friday, it was Glasgow versus Benetton. Absolute beatdown by the Warriors. <laughs> Early on, by the way, if you were watching, a woman in the audience got a flag in the face. Something I've been expecting to see for a long time now. It just, to me, it seems nuts to hand out wavy things on sticks to thousands of people intent on doing a lot of drinking. Anyway, the phrase of the weekend had to be reverse nutmeg McLean. <laughs> I mean, how good is that? Anyway, the the Warriors, they never looked to be threatened. It was 37 to zip and a shutout home win. Good stuff for Glasgow. Um, Scarlets versus Leinster. Speaking of beatdowns, 
that's what Scarlets were in for. The visitors racked up two penalty tries. The Scarlets' discipline has been shocking this year. It's um, After this game, it's, I think, nine yellows, maybe even ten, along with two red cards. The coaches must be pulling their hair out in their sleep. By the way, hot take time. Leinster are officially boring. These 30-point wins, they're just starting to put me to sleep. Can't they just open up the throttle all the way? Can we get a 50-pointer at some point? Of course, after I wrote that, I actually went and checked, and we did get a 54-point performance against the Sharks. But either way, they're boring. 5-35 to was your final... Oh, sorry, sorry. Saturday, it had the Lions versus the Stormers. Great match. Lions making a statement at home, 22-10 to at halftime. But this is the Stormers, my friends. And with 10 minutes left, it was... Uh, Clayton Blumanchis, who I'm probably massacring right now, uh, slicing through untouched to take their first lead of the day. Quote, it's intense. There's pressure, and pressure does things to players. Unquote, drilled the comms ominously. Namazaba, uh, z- sorry, Namakaba busted over to, uh, to break the hearts of the lines and stunning the crowd. What a derby this one was. I do have to say the ref absolutely screwed the lines with the clock at the very end, letting Stormers waste a full minute. I would have been fuming if I was a Lions supporter. It was just really obvious, really egregious. Of course, it was a two-score game at the time. It was out of reach anyway, but that doesn't mean it wasn't, you know, a disgusting miscarriage around uh, against the home team. Really, kind of, that kind of stuff kind of bothers me. Anyway, gut-wrenching 22-31 to 31 home loss. The Stormers are not messing around. So next up was Dragons versus Zebre. This is exactly the kind of match where beforehand I'll say something like, in a game that technically somebody has to win, but it seems like every time I do that, it always turns out to be a draw, just to prove me wrong. So the funny thing in this one was, at one point the commentary went from English to Italian, and while I didn't understand it, it did seem obvious that they were watching a much more exciting game than I was. Anyway, it took Zebre a half hour to get on the board at all, and Dragons, they were on cruise control all night. They were looking to get to 50 at home, but fell just short, 47-7 to at the double whistle. First time since April of 2021 that they've won two in a row, and Zebre are still stuck on that goose egg. Then, oh boy, Munster versus Ulster had to be the game of the week for the URC heading into the weekend, and ooh, was it close. It, it wasn't a beautiful thing to watch. It was uh, congested, is the word I eventually came up with. Can I say that? So it was hammer and tongs the whole way. It looked like Munster might steal a win right at the very end, but Wayne Vermeulen, he had other ideas. What a pickup he's been for Ulster when he's actually been out there for them. He sealed the deal at Thoman Park. Uh, the nightmarish start for the season continued for the men in red, 14-15 to 15 in a true game of inches. It was great to have Birch on comms again for this one, but you know what? His, his frustration with Munster is really starting to come through. It's, it reminds me of when your dad says he's not mad, he's just disappointed. So Ospreys versus Connacht had some sort of Jekyll and Hyde action in the first half. Ospreys, they jumped out early. They held a 12-0 lead the majority of the first uh, half, but then bang, bang, right at the end, Connacht went up 12 to 14 heading into the break. Connacht have been really slow to get going on the road, especially this year. Um, but Ospreys, they did have their final shot right at the end, but just couldn't come through. Connacht got a nice road win, 19 to 22. Well done, guys. Sunday, Bulls versus Sharks. The first thing I noticed was the crowd. I mean, what a crowd. I've been talking a lot about the lack of butts in the seats in South Africa, but this one, wow, it looked jammed at the start, and people were still pouring in through the early stages, and they were fully into it. Really great. Um, There was another really scary injury in this one. Not even going to describe it, but the cart came out 
immediately just frightening. In any event, as you'd expect, it was another grueling South African derby. This was my introduction to Afaleli Fassi, by the way, who is just electric. What a player. Quote, when he's on song, he is something to watch, unquote, agreed the comms. They actually used that phrase, when he's on song, I think three times. Uh, but he can truly do it all out there. Super exciting, this one. So much back and forth. But it wasn't until the 70-minute mark that Bulls found some real separation on the scoreboard. And then it was a bit of an avalanche after that. 40-27 to 27 was the final after 60 or 70 minutes of nail-biting stuff. Finally, Cardiff versus Edinburgh. This marked the 101st appearance for Bill Mata. Man, I love that guy. He's just another one who's a joy to watch out there. Again, when he can stay on the field. So for the Glasgow game and this one, if you want more chat about it, please check out my latest conversation with John and Craig from the Scottish Rugby Podcast. It dropped on Halloween and is scary good. <laughs> anyway, 17-25 uh, to 25 was your final score in this one. And with that, the URC wrapped itself up in a nice cozy blanket, poured a nice hot mug of tea, hunkered down to watch the upcoming Autumn Internationals, and maybe take a wee snooze. Night-night for now, URC. So heading into this mini break, that did mean a real log jam at the top of the league table. Leinster, of course, still way ahead with 33 points. The next closest teams being Ulster on 25, Bulls and Stormers tied at 24, and a cheeky Edinburgh nipping at their heels with 22. The next nine, count them, nine spots are all teams sandwiched between 17 and 12 points before we get get down to the, the single digiters. With, you know, winless Zebra with just four. Scarlet's comparatively much better with nine. The big shockers, though, have to be Munster in 14th place and Ulster holding strong in second place. Um, just last week, slots three through six were all South African teams, but after this weekend, that number changed to two with Sharks and Lions right next to each other at eight and nine. So to be fair, 11 of the teams have played seven games while the Sharks have only played five. So things will definitely continue to shift once we're back in action. Great year so far for me in the URC. Oh, finally this weekend. Yes, the Super 6 final was on Sunday. Uh, it was, of course, Watsonians versus Ayrshire Bulls. Uh, I didn't get to watch this one, but it looked like a bit of a beatdown. Uh, the favored Watsonians thoroughly dismantling the underdog Bulls to the tune of 43-24. to I still find this competition very intriguing. So if any of you know, you know what the next iteration will be, when it's going to start, all that stuff, just reach out to me and give me a heads up. Let me know what's going on with that competition. I feel like there's always news when I'm looking in the other direction, if you get what I mean. Anyway, fun year overall for the Super 6. I'm hoping to do a much better job of following it next time around. Good stuff. Well, by the music, you will of course know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Sioni Vailanu. Mr. Vailanu, your first try against Benetton was a thing of startling beauty. I've never seen defenders so happy to pretend to fall for a dummy. So recently, you've been with the ill-fated Worcester Warriors, and before that, ironically, with the equally ill-fated Wasps. Now, perhaps, you have found a more stable home, and your strength, awareness, speed, and overall power look to be an enormous asset for your new Warriors. Sioni Vailanu, a heartfelt congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Well done, sir. Okay, my friends, that, of course, brings us to our updates and previews. And this coming weekend is a, another 
bit of an odd duck with fully sanctioned international tests taking place while two of the respective leagues I follow are still playing. So it's probably fair to expect a bit of a drop off in performance in the Prem and in the top 14. As we already talked about, the URC is on hiatus until I'm pretty sure it's November 25th. So the 2021 Rugby World Cup rolls into the semifinal round, which should be totally amazing. You know, those two matches will be, of course, up first, England versus Canada. Go Canada! Followed by New Zealand versus France. Um, I did notice today they are actively updating the world rankings as this tournament unfolds. And as such, these are the top four ranked teams in the world. England first, no big surprise. Blackfern second, Canada third, which surprised me a little bit, and France in fourth. I wonder if that has to do with the uh, the litany of injuries. Anyway, I for one cannot wait for that round. So the 2022 Autumn Internationals will kick off in earnest on Saturday, November 5th, with Italy versus Samoa, then Scotland versus Fiji, Wales versus New Zealand. Yikes. And then, ooh, it's the big one, Ireland taking on South Africa. And then, of course, France versus Australia. I just listened to Josh Gardner talking about how that is going to be the most unserious possible game. And, oh, man, he got me fired up. I can't wait. Uh, Sunday the 6th, we'll have just the single fixture, but it should be an exciting one. That is, of course, England facing Argentina. So in round nine for the Premiership, it's a lone Friday fixture once again, pitting Northampton against Exeter, followed by Sale versus Gloucester, Newcastle versus Bath, and Bristol versus Saracens all on Saturday. And of course, round 10 in the top 14. We've got our usual six and one split for Saturday and Sunday. In order, that, that'll be Toulouse versus Stade Francais, Claremont versus Bayonne, Lyon versus Cast, Toulon versus Montpellier, Racing 92 versus Perpignan, Brive versus La Rochelle, and then finally Poe versus Bordeaux Begla. For those keeping score, that's 19 matches over the same weekend, so there's no way I'm catching it all, but I will do my level best. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. From now through the winter holidays, man, oh man, do things get good. We've got the internationals, of course. Then we'll have a couple of rounds of Europe. Then the Christmas derbies. Oh, it's so great. As soon as it gets cold out, the rugby gets so good. Anyway, as always, thanks again to all of you for coming along. To everyone across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon. And of course, be well.